0: Okay, so started recording. Here we are studying the Visuddhimagga again, continuing on section
1: seventy-two, chapter one. See the Aurora, could you start us off with seventy-two?
2: Yes, in the description of talking. Talking at is talking thus on seeing people coming to the monastery. What have you come for, good people? What, to invite bhikkhus? If it is that, then go along and I shall come later with my bowl. Or alternatively, talking at is talking by advertising oneself thus. I am Tissa, the king trusts me. Such and such king's ministries trust me. Talking is the same kind of talking on being asked the question. Talking round is roundly talking by one who is afraid of householder's displeasure, because he has given a occasion for it. Talking up is talking by extolling bullas. He is great landowner, great shipowner, a great lord of giving. Continual talking up is talking by extolling people in all ways.
1: Thank you, Band,
3: Can you do seventy-three?
4: Uh, persuading is progressively involving people, thus. Lay followers, formerly you used to give first fruit first fruit alms at such a time. Why do you not do so now? Until they say, we shall give, venerable sir, we have had no opportunity, etc. Entangling is what is meant. Or alternatively, seeing someone with sugar cane in his hands, he asks, where are you coming from, lay follower? From the sugarcane field, venerable sir. Is the sugarcane sweet there? One can find out by eating, venerable sir. It is not allowed, lay follower, for bickers to say, give me some sugarcane. Such entangling talk from such an entangler is persuading. Persuading again and again, and always is continual persuading.
0: So these are the translations of the Pali words. It may sound a little bit awkward, but... That's referring to uh, different, different types of similar activities, which are all considered to be kind of sleazy, right? That's really the point here. And although these types of sleaze are uh, specifically uh, relating to, to monastics, it's the same, same idea as when someone mooches or, or cons their way uh, into getting what they want. And yeah, you have the relatives or friends who employ all these tactics to try and manipulate other people to uh, feel guilty or feel obliged
1: to give more than their than, uh, do share. Thank you. Suggesting is insinuating by specifying thus. That
3: family alone understands me. If there is anything to be given there, they give it to me only. Pointing to is what is meant. And here is the story of the oil, oil seller should be told. Suggesting in all ways again and again is continual suggesting.
1: Tim, can you read 75? Oh, Sanka, is your
3: mic working?
5: Yeah, I
1: think so.
3: Oh, it is. It is, yes. Can you do 75,
1: Sanka?
5: Um, I can do 75. Yeah, sure. Shall I
6: go ahead or Tim? You are going to do it.
5: Um, every time I hit my button, it seems to take me right back to the beginning. I'm having some kind of difficulty here with it. So go on ahead. I'll see what I can uh, fix here. Thank you.
6: All right. Um, Seventy-five. Ingratiating chatter is endearing chatter repeated again and again without regard to whether it is in. Confirmity with with Truth and Dhamma. Flattery is speaking humbly, always maintaining an attitude of inferiority. inferiority. Bean soupery is a resemblance to bean soup. For just as when beans are being cooked, only a few do not get cooked, the rest get cooked. So too the person in whose speech on a little is true, the rest being false, is called a bean soup. His state is being. His state is
1: being super. Thank you, Sanka. Sure.
3: Tim, are you are you able to uh, use your mic now for seventy six?
5: Uh, yeah, I'm just going to go ahead with my book here and uh, work with that. Uh, fondling is the state of act of fondling. For when a man fondles children on his lap or on his shoulder like a nurse, he nurses. Is the meaning that fondlers, that fondlers act is the act of fondling. The state of the act of fondling is fondling.
0: Again, the implication is for the purpose of ingratiation,
1: the purpose of uh, uh, p- making people feel obliged to uh, to give. To put up. Put it's, out? Kind of, it's kind of what
3: politicians do when they, uh, they kiss yeah. the babies and all that. Exactly.
1: So it's,
0: I mean, for, for, the, for most ordinary people, it's not that big of a deal. You know, we, we, it's considered a sign of friendship. If you did that sort of thing, it wouldn't be considered ingratiating, it would be considered um, cultivating friendship. And so it's actually in many cases considered a good thing you think oh this person's very uh, very courteous or cordial of them to to play with you know to to fondle to to uh, hold my child and bounce them on their knee etc cetera, etc cetera. it's a, a nice thing uh, the point here is we're dealing with a specific relationship for the monks where Any anything they they have to be careful of everything because it can all be construed as as uh, a intent to or a for the purpose of impressing and creating favoritism etc. which uh, which is dangerous because of course leads to jealousy leads to obsession on the part of the monks leads to feeling of obligation on behalf of the lay people. so oh, they're doing this for me. Does that mean they're expecting me to give this, etc.? So it's it isn't something that's immediately applicable to ordinary life, but it's the same. You, you see this same sort of perverse attitude uh, in a, in a, in ordinary life as well, you know, where where there's the intent to ingratiate. The intent to impress uh, for ulterior motives is really the point here. I guess I'm next, no?
3: Yes, please. Thank you.
0: In the description of hinting, a sign is any bodily or verbal act that gets others to give requisites. Giving a sign is making a sign such as, what have you got to eat, (laughs) etc. On seeing people going along with food. Indication is talk that alludes to requisites. Giving indication. On seeing cowboys, he asks, are these milk cows calves or buttermilk cows calves? And when it is said they are milk cows calves, Venerable Sir, he remarks, they are not milk cows calves. If they were milk cows calves, the bhikkhus would be getting milk, etc. And is getting it to the knowledge of the boy's parents in this way, and so making them give milk is a giving is giving indication. Now, this is the kind of thing that all monks should read for the purpose of uh, humbling and, and and making us realise that oh we, we, we actually sometimes break these out of our desire for food, and our desire for people to uh, to give more than they were were going were interested in.
1: To have people support us and wait upon us. Thank you, Bante. Aurora, could you read 78?
2: Yes. Indirect talk is talk that keeps near to the subject, and here there should be told the story of the bhikkhu supported by a family. A bhikkhu, it seems, who was supported by a family, went in the house wanting to eat and sat down. Mistress of the house was unwilling to give. On seeing him, she said, "There is no rice," and she went on to a neighbor's house, as though to get rice. The biko went into the storeroom, looking round. He saw sugar cane in the corner behind the door, sugar in a bowl, a string of salt, fish in a basket, rice in a jar, and ghee in a pot. He came out and sat down. When the housewife came back, she said. I did not get any rice. The bhikkhu said, Lay follower, I just saw a sign just now that alms will not be easy to get today. What venerable, sir. I saw a snake that was like sugar cane put in the corner behind a door looking for something to hit with it. I saw a stone like a lump of sugar in a bowl. When the snake had been hit with the clod, it spread out like a hood, like a string of salt fish in a basket and its teeth as it tried to bite the clod or like rice grains in a jar. Then the saliva mixed with poison that came out to its mouth. And its furry was like a ghee put in a pot. She thought there was no, there was no hoodwinking, the shabooing. So he gave him the sugar cane and the cooked rice and gave him all to him, the
1: ghee, the sugar, and the fish. Sneaky. The such limb. talk that keeps near. Oh,
4: Go ahead.: Sorry. Such talk that keeps near to the subject should be understood as indirect talk. Roundabout talk is talking round and round the subject as much as is allowed.
1: In the description of
3: belittling, abusing is abusing by means of the ten instances of abuse. Disparaging is contemptuous talk. Reproaching is enumeration of faults, such as, he is faithless, he's an unbeliever. Snubbing is taking up verbally thus. Don't say that here. Snubbing in all ways, having grounds and reasons, is continual snubbing. Or alternatively, when someone does not give, taking him up thus. Oh, the prince of givers! is snubbing Hmm. (laughs) so being sarcastic i guess and through snubbing him a mighty prince of givers is continual snubbing ridicule is making fun of someone thus what sort of a life has this man who eats his seed grain continual ridicule is making fun of him more more thoroughly thus what you say this man is not a giver who always gives the words there is nothing to everyone Hmm. wow that's real sarcasm (laughs)
0: Yeah, no, this a, it's quite a unique sort of passage of... There's another interesting one similar to this, is the talk on insults, the ten ty- the ten ways of insulting someone. It's quite colorful, the language. Sort of a unique uh, unique look into more colorful aspects of life.
3: Is that in the Vasudhimaka
1: also? I believe so. It's in the commentaries. I think we have it in here somewhere. Sanka, can you read 81?
6: Yeah, sure. Uh, Denigration. Denigration is denigrating someone by saying that he is not a giver, or by uh, censoring him. All-round denigration is uh, continual denigration. Tail-bearing is uh, bearing tails from house to house, from village to village, from district to district, thinking, so they will give me out of fear of my bearing tails. Backbiting is speaking censoriously uh, behind another's back after speaking kindly to, after speaking kindly to his face, for this is like biting the flesh of another's back. When he is not looking, on the part of one who is unable to look uh, him in the face, therefore it is called backbiting. This is called uh, bilitalin, nippesikata, uh, because it scrapes off nippesati, uh, uh, wipes off the virtuous qualities of others as a bamboo scraper, velupesikata, uh, velupesikata. Does unjunct or because it is pursuit of gain by grinding, nipimusitva, and pulverizing others' virtuous qualities like the pursuit of perfume by grinding perfume substances? That is why it is called, called belittling.
0: It's not actually why it's called belittling, but it's why it's called nipesikata. Uh, so group making, uh,
1: doing doing some grinding of the other person, basically. Grinding them down. Thank you. Tim, can you read 82?
5: In the description of pursuing gain with gain, pursuing is hunting after. Got from here is got from this house, there is into that house. Seeking is wanting, seeking for hunting after, seeking out is hunting after again and again. The story of the bhikkhu who went round giving away the alms he had just got, at first to children of families here and there, and in the end got milk, gruel should be told here. Searching, etc., are synonymous for searching, etc, and so the construction here should be um, here should be understood thus: going in search of is seeking searching for is seeking for searching out is seeking out. This is the meaning of scheming and so on.
1: now as regards the words the evil states beginning with
0: etc here the words beginning with should be understood to include the many evil states given in the Brahmajala sutta in the way beginning or just as some worthy ascetics while eating the food given by the faithful make a living by wrong livelihood by such low arts as these that is to say, by palmistry, by fortune telling, by divining omens, by interpreting de- dreams, marks on the body, holes not by mice, by fire sacrifice, by spoon oblation.
2: So this wrong livelihood. entails... Before,
0: uh, sorry, just to give me a second here. Uh, just to point out, we were just—I was just talking about the ten types of. Uh, of insult it's actually a footnote here the ten instances of abuse uh, are actually given in the we commentary you are a thief you are a fool you're an idiot you are a camel you are an ox you're a donkey etc etc anyway just thought I'd point out that it's there Bhante um, what is the
5: spoon oblation
0: um, the oblation, I'm not, you know, it's not the term I'm that familiar with, but I believe it's, uh, uh, pouring out is the meaning of the word. It, it's, it's this butter sacrifice where they keep the fire going by pouring, by spooning, uh, liquid, uh, oil or butter onto the, these butter lamps or these oil lamps. So they make a t- uh, ceremonial, uh, Scooping or spooning of of butter, Thank uh, not, you. not butter necessarily, but oil of some sort. Uh, it's a was a big thing in India. In Tibet, I think they do it as well. Actually, in
1: Thailand, they have them, but it's kind of a carryover from India. The idea is Thank to you. have the, the firm, eternal flame. They
0: worship the flame. You'll, you'll see a lot of that in the tipitaka and the commentaries about people who in Hinduism has this worshipping of flame and Agni is the god of fire and so they have this they they tend to the sacrificial fire
1: it's referring to thank you aurora can you read 84
2: yes i can So this wrong livelihood entails the transgression of the six training precepts announced on account of livelihood. And it entails the evil states beginning with scheming, talking, hinting, belittling, pursuing gain with gain. And so it is the abstinence from all sorts of wrong livelihood that is the virtue of livelihood purification, meaning of which is this. On account of it, they live that thus it is livelihood. What is that? It is the effort consisting in the search for requisites. Purification is pure purifiedness, purifiedness. Livelihood, purification is purification of livelihood.
0: again, this all was talking about livelihood purification under the heading of the four purifications of virtue.
1: that's that's number.
0: I think it's number three. No, we've done. Patimokas, restraint in in regards to the rules, uh, restraint of the senses, and here's virtue of purification of one's livelihood. Now we're getting it on to the fourth one, which is concerning use of requisites.
4: As regards the next kind called virtue concerning requisites, here is the text reflecting wisely, he uses the robe only for protection from cold, for protection from heat, for protection from contact with gadflies, flies, wind, burning and creeping things, and only for the purpose of concealing the private parts. Reflecting wisely, he uses alms food neither for amusement, nor for intoxication, nor for smartening, nor for embellishment, but only for the endurance and continuance of his body, for the in- ending of discomfort, and for assisting the life of purity thus i shall stop thus i shall put a stop to old feelings and shall not arouse new feelings and i shall be healthy and blameless and live in comfort reflecting wisely he uses the resting place reflecting wisely he uses the resting place only for the purpose of protection from cold or protection from heat for protection from contact with gadflies flies wind burning and creeping things, and only for the purpose of warding off the perils of climate and enjoying retreat. Reflecting wisely, he uses the requisite of medicine as cure for the sick, only, sick only for protection from arisen hurtful feelings and for complete immunity from affliction. Herein, reflecting wisely is reflecting as the means and as the way by knowing, by reviewing, is the meaning. And here it is the reviewing stated in the way beginning for a protection from cold that should be understood as reflecting wisely.
0: So this is actually a fairly um, staple passage that you'll find in the Tipitika. It's also a chanting that is done daily uh, in Thailand and Cambodia, I know here at the monastery every day we do the, the, in the evening chanting there is this uh, reciting of basically what was just exactly what was just read but in Pali of course So that's uh, quite a common chant in, in Thailand before they eat many, many monasteries will recite the chant um reminding themselves about why we're using food. So it's useful sometimes to recite this if you're interested. You can
1: recite it or read it to yourself before you eat, before you use your your requisites. Thank you. Here in the robe
3: is any one of those beginning with the inner cloth. He uses, he employs, dresses or puts on, as an upper garment, only is a only is a phrase signifying invariability in the definition of a limit of a purpose. The purpose is the meditators making use of the robes in that much only, namely protection from cold, etc. Not much more than that, I'm sorry, not more than that. From cold, from any kind of cold arisen either through disturbance of elements internally or through change in temperature externally, for protection, for the purpose of warding off, for the purpose of eliminating it, so that it may not arouse affliction in the body. For when the body is afflicted by cold, the distracted mind cannot be wisely exerted. That is why the Blessed One permitted the robe to be used for protection from cold. So in each instance, except from the heat, means from the heat of
1: fire, the origin of which should be understood as forest fires, and so on. Sanka, can you read 87?
6: Yeah. Um, from contact with gadflies and flies, wind and burning and creeping things. Here gadflies are flies that bite. Uh, they are also called blind flies. Flies are just flies. Uh, wind is dis- distinguished as that with dust and that without dust. Burning is burning of the sun creeping things are uh, any long creatures such as snakes and so on that move by crawling contact with them is of two kinds contact by being bitten and contact uh, by being touched and that uh, does not and that does not worry him who sits with the robe who sits with the robe on so he uses it for the purpose of protection from such things
1: So that must have been in contrast to the, the naked aesthetics back
3: then, the, the fact that so much was made of wearing a robe, I would guess? Aesthetics, aesthetics yes.
0: Um, yeah, it was in, in some sense a defense of, you know, the, the, it's actually, these are actually a defense as well of these things because there was some question as to whether, of course, aesthetics should actually eat at all, should wear, of course, should wear robes at all. And so these ascetics who didn't do these things, who actually starved themselves or went without without robes, uh, claimed that, that uh, the Buddha was only going halfway. You know? The Buddha countered that by saying he had found the middle way and realized that actually going to an extreme like that doesn't serve any particular purpose. So he found that by using things simply as a functional um, object or support was actually beneficial to the spiritual life and so this is a defense as to why that is you know um, not wearing robes is all fine and good but it does get in the way for two particular reasons first of all it means everyone sees everyone naked and second of all it uh, interferes through a lot of suffering from insects and flies and creepy crawly things and
1: lots of stuff Sitting in poison ivy, for example, it seems very sensible. Yeah, that's the the, the argument, which quite sensible.
3: Tim, can you read ADA?
5: Only the word is repeated in order to define d- define a subdivision of invariable purpose. For the concealment of the private parts is an invariable purpose. The others are purposes uh, periodically. Herein, private parts are the parts of the pendendum. uh, For when a member is disclosed, conscience is disturbed, uh, uh, offended. It is called private parts because of the disturbance of conscience. For the purpose of concealing the private parts, for the purpose of concealment of those private parts, as well as the reading, Hirokopina Pachichandanam. There is a reading, Hirokopanim Pachichandanam.
3: Thank you, Tim.
1: Tim, your mic's a little close to your mouth, I think. You're getting a lot of... Puh sound. Okay, thank you. you no. Know? Alms food is any sort of food. For
0: any sort of nutriment, is called alms food. And because of its having been dropped into a bhikkhu's bowl during his alms round. Or alms food is the dropping of the lumps it is the concurrence the collection of alms obtained here and there is what is meant neither for amusement neither for the purpose of amusement as with village boys etc for the sp- sake of sport is what is meant nor for intoxication not for the purpose of intoxication as with boxers etc for the sake of intoxication with strength and for the sake of intoxication with manhood is what is meant, nor for smartening. Not for the purpose of smartening, as with royal concubines. Smartening here, I mean, I think, means fattening up. Uh, we don't use that word in that way nowadays. Courtesans, etc., for the sake of plumpness in all the limbs is what is meant, nor for embellishment, not for the purpose of embellishment, as with actors, dancers, etc. For the sake of clear skin and
1: complexion is what is meant. Thank you, Bhante. Aurora, can you read Nandi?
2: Yes. And here the clause neither for amusement is stated for the purpose of abandoning support for delusion, nor for intoxication is said for the purpose of abandoning support for hate, nor for smartening, nor for embellishment is said, for the purpose of abandoning support for greed, and neither for amusement nor for intoxication is said for the purpose of preventing the arising of fetters for oneself, nor for smartening nor for embellishment is said for the purpose of preventing the arising of fetters for another. And the abandoning of both unwise practice and devotion to indulgence of sense pleasures should be understood as stated by these four, only has the meaning already stated.
1: Of
4: this, body, of this material body consisting of the four great primaries for the endurance, for the purpose of continued endurance, and continuance for the purpose of not interrupting life's continued occurrence, or for the purpose of endurance for a long time. He makes use of the alms food for the purpose of the endurance, for the purpose of the continuance of the body, as the owner of an old house uses props for his house, and as a Carter uses axle grease, not for the purpose of amusement, intoxication, smartening, and embellishment. Furthermore, endurance is a term for the life faculty. So what has been said as far as the words for the endurance and continuance of this body can be understood to mean for the purpose of maintaining the occurrence of the life faculty in
1: this body. For
3: the ending of discomfort, hunger is called discomfort in the sense of afflicting. He makes use of alms food for the purpose of ending that, like anointing a wound, like counteracting heat with cold, and so on. For assisting the life of purity, for the purpose of assisting the life of purity consisting in the whole dispensation, and the life of purity consisting in the path. For while this bhikkhu is engaged in crossing the desert of existence by means of devotion to the three trainings depending on bodily strength, whose necessary condition is the use of alms food. He uses it to assist the life of purity, just as those seeking to cross the desert use their child's flesh, just as those seeking to cross a river used a raft, and just as those seeking to cross the ocean used a ship.
0: So the I think it explains what is meant by the whole child's flesh thing, and yes, that's actually something the Buddha... Um, the Buddha himself described in the Tipitika the Nikaya, about if you read the footnote 29 it's about it, it's not something that really happened but the Buddha says you know suppose these people were trying to cross a desert and they were with their, their baby and suppose not that he is recommending this, but suppose they they decided for themselves that they would eat their child's flesh, just to allow themselves to survive, he asks, uh, what do you think they would be uh, do you think they would use that food for intoxication, or they would you know use it uh, festively or so on? I mean, he was trying to give the absolute most horrific possible um use of food simply you know for the for the absolute most to make it perfectly clear as to how. How specifically it's only being used because it's absolutely necessary in the most extreme degree, and so this is the example. It's kind of horrific, actually, but his in his point of it is that's how um, utilitarian you should be, you know, how strict you should be about this, about not using it for uh, for enjoyment.
1: Not that he's suggesting that that would ever be more a moral or ethical thing to do. But as
6: I remember in the story, uh, they didn't actually kill the child. Uh, the child died first and then they had to eat the flesh. So I remember it, on. I remember it
0: differently. I remember that they say we can always have another child. Okay. Or maybe, maybe I'm mixing up. There's another story about where the husband tries to get her to leave. But I'm, if I remember correctly, I thought it was actually that they do. Uh, so, oh, who died so on the think... way? It says it says it died on the way. So maybe you're right.
6: Okay, yeah. So eating the corpse won't be uh, immoral, right?
0: If it died along the way, okay. uh, then yeah, it wouldn't be. But I was, uh, uh, yeah, I'm not exactly sure. You you probably know it clearer than I do. But I was of the memory that it that they actually, it probably makes more sense that they didn't kill it, but it seemed to me that they actually did. I Sorry, there's another story of where they, they the husband tries to convince the wife to leave the baby behind, so maybe that's what I'm confusing.
6: Yeah, I have heard another version. I mean, uh, the husband tries to kill the child and he couldn't, so he pass it to the wife and then the wife couldn't do it uh, either. And then they keep passing it and the child dies uh, while they are doing it. And then they (laughs) eat the flesh.
0: Right.
3: (laughs) Yeah, either way it definitely makes the point.
0: (laughs) Absolutely. uh...
6: Yeah. Thus, I shall put a stop to old feelings and shall not arouse new feelings. Thus, as a sick man uses medicine, he uses arms food thinking. By use of this arms food I shall put a stop to the old feeling of hunger, and I shall not arouse a new feeling by immoderate eating, like uh, one of the proverbial Brahmans, uh, that is, one who eats till he has to be helped, by, helped up by hand or till his clothes will not meet, or till he rolls uh, there on the ground, or till crows can peck from his mouth, or until he vomits uh, what he has eaten. Or alternatively, there is that which is called old feelings because being conditioned by former karma, it arises now in dependence on unsuitable, immoderate eating. I shall put a stop to that old feeling, forestalling its condition by suitable moderate eating. And there is that which is, that which is called new feeling, because it will rise in the future in dependence on the accumulation of karma consisting in making improper use of the requisite of alms food. Now, I shall also not arouse uh, that new feeling, avoiding by means of proper use of production of its root. This is how the meaning should be understood here. What has been shown so far can be understood to, be understood to include proper use of requisites, abandoning of devotion to self-mortification and not giving up lawful bliss, pleasure.
0: Uh, here's the, just as uh, to settle this question, here's the Sanjuta Nikaya Bhikkhu Bodhi's translation. 63, which is SN 12, I don't, I'm don't. i not sure the exact number, it's called Son's Flesh. Uh, okay, the husband and wife would think our limited provisions have been used up and exhausted. Let us kill our only son, dear and beloved, and prepare dried and spiced meat. By eating our son's flesh, we can cross the rest of this desert. Let not all three of us perish. Then, because the husband and wife would kill their only son, Dear and beloved, prepare dried and spiced meat. And by eating their son's flesh, they would cross the rest of the desert. While they are eating their son's flesh, they would beat their breasts and cry, Where are you, our only son? Where are you, our only son? What do you think, bhikkhus? Would they eat that food for amusement or for enjoyment? Or for the sake of physical beauty and attractiveness? No, Venerable Sir again have to stress he's not suggesting that this is in any way ethical but he is actually saying that um, he is actually giving the example of someone who would be uh, the point isn't that 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 of killing their son it's just if someone were to do such a horrific act um coming out of desperation but it's not only desperation there's something else that has to be acknowledged here and that's lack of ethics because even under desperation someone who is ethical would never of course kill their only son he's just trying to make it as horrific as possible to to remind the monk saying you know this is how you should look at food you know if you were to if you were to be so horrified by it that you're just eating it absolutely
1: only uh, because you absolutely have to that's the point Okay. Yeah. Yeah, this is very colourful. And then in, in the next, you know, with the, the person rolling on the ground
3: till the crows peck from their mouth, it's a very colourful stuff.
0: <laughs> yeah, the Winnaya is like that. Anything about morality is, is always quite interesting. There's interesting stories to be told about monks doing silly things and about monks and corrupt monks and so on.
1: <laughs> and interesting situations that they get find themselves in. Thank you. Tim, can you read 94?
5: And I shall be healthy. In this body, which exists in dependence on requisites, I shall, by moderate eating, have health called long endurance, since there will be no danger of serving the life faculty or interrupting the continuity of the postures. Reflecting in this way, he makes use of the alms food as a sufferer from a chronic disease does of his medicine, and blameless, and live in comfort, and have blamelessness as a comfortable abiding. He makes use of them thinking, I shall have blamelessness by avoiding improper search, acceptance, and eating. I shall have a comfortable abiding by moderate eating, or he does so thinking, I shall have blamelessness due to absence of such faults as boredom, sloth, sleeplessness, blame by the wise, etc., that have unseemingly immoderate eating as their condition. And I shall have a comfortable abiding by producing bodily strength that has seemingly moderate eating as its condition. Or he does so thinking, I shall have blamelessness by abandoning the pleasure of lying down, lollying, or turpor, uh, through refraining from eating as much as possible to stuff the belly. I shall have a comfortable abiding by controlling the four postures through eating four or five mouthfuls less than the maximum, for this is said. For this is said, with four or five lumps still to eat, let him then end by drinking water, for energetic bhikkhu's needs. This should, suffice li- this should suffice to live in comfort. Now, what has been shown at this point can be understood as discernment of purpose and practice of the middle way.
1: Thank you, Tim. Bante, can you read 95? I'm just looking at this um, four or five lumps thing. Because I always, it always struck me that it's um,
0: kind of interesting. The wording to me suggests that it I might be wrong. I know I haven't looked this up in a while, but there was a time where I was looking at it and it, it sounded like it could simply mean one which should be content with only four or five lumps. Um, I think there's maybe a commentary that explains that it's that's not the case. But uh, it just seemed interesting to me that it, why why would it be you know uh, put aside you know four or five lumps you know you four or five lumps until you're full. The idea being it seems more curious than than the idea of being intent with only four or five lumps, which the the grammar actually, again, I'm not looking into this very deeply, but um, the standard translation isn't exactly, I don't think, isn't exactly literal, because it simply says, um, with five or four, in the case of four or five lumps. But the commentary, I think, somewhere says what it means is four or five lumps left, which there was some point where I wasn't quite convinced that that was the actual meaning anyway it's it's an interesting question that you know, it's highly technical, but it it happens to be something that occurred that the Buddha actually mentions and so it's an interesting kind of technical question as to what exactly is meant by four or five lumps anyway
6: I guess that is a space for drinking water
0: I know, but it could also mean if you only get four or five lumps, then just eat just drink water you know have some water to fill you up but it it doesn't it doesn't specifically and it's not literally it doesn't literally say with four or five lumps still to eat the words still to eat i don't see them there i haven't seen them anywhere so it's it's with four or five lumps let him let me see what does it say
1: with four or five lumps ambutwa I don't know what a butwa means exactly, but utakampiwe means drink. Uh, let him drink water.
3: I mean, just on the surface, it sounds kind of like you know basic dietary advice that's given for people that are trying to reduce and lose weight. You know, mm-hmm. leave a little bit left on your plate. Right.
0: But the thing is, we're not trying to lose weight. <laughs> but
3: this is very true.
0: You know, there's no reason. I don't. I don't. It, it was curious to me as to why. Why would. Why wouldn't you eat until you're exactly well i mean it's it's not i'm not particularly arguing for it i just thought it was interesting because in fact this is sort of how i and most monks approach this we do actually leave four or five um mouthfuls meaning um you know we know we're almost full and we say well that's enough i'm not going to go until i'm completely full i think there is some
1: some uh, wisdom or, or some you know, it's um some uh, attraction, attractiveness to that that uh, suggestion.
0: Or maybe
6: health benefits, but I mean, eating until your food is going to make you sick, right? Like I guess. obese and uh, diabetics and yeah. all sorts of things.
1: I shall have comfortable abiding by controlling the four postures,
0: by eating four or five, chatu panchalopen mata Yeah,
1: it does mean. Seems to mean less than. I guess that's what it means. Four or five less than what is necessary. Okay. Um,
0: can someone else go on with ninety-five? I've got to go. I'll be right back.
1: Okay. Sure. Aurora, can you read ninety five? Uh, yes I can. Uh rest. I think Aurora is disconnected. Um Bond, can you read ninety-five?
4: Yep. Uh resting place. Sena sena This is the bed, senna and seat, asana. For whatever one sleeps. Seti, whether in a monastery or on a lean to etc, that is the bed, senna. Wherever one seats oneself, a citi sits, that is the seat. Both together are called resting place or abode. <clears throat> For the purpose of warding off the perils of climate, enjoying retreat, the climate itself is in the sense of imperiling, is perils of cl- climate unsuitable climatic conditions that cause mental distraction due to bodily affliction can be warded off by making use of the resting place it is for the purpose of it is for the purpose of warding off these and for the purpose of the pleasure of solitude is what is meant of course the warding off of the perils of climate is stated by the phrase protection from cold etc too. But just as, just as in the case of making use of the robes, the concealment of the private parts is stated as an invariable purpose, while the others are periodical purposes. So here also this last should be understood as mentioned with reference to the invariable wording off of the perils of climate, or alternatively this climate of the kind stated is just climate but perils are of two kinds, evident perils and concealed perils. Herein, evident perils are lions, tigers, etc., which while concealed perils are greed, hate, and so on. When a goo knows and reflects thus in making use of the kind of resting place where these perils do not, owing to unguarded doors and and sight of unsuitable visible objects, etc., cause affliction. He can be understood as one who, reflecting wisely, makes use of the resting place for the purpose of warding off the perils of climate.
1: Thank you, Band. Aurora, are you back?
2: Uh, It seems that I am. Can you hear
3: me? Sankai, can
0: can we just say that Sankai seems to be echoing a lot?
1: Maybe it's a lot of mouse clicking or something? Okay, can you read 96, Aurora?
2: Yes, I can. The requisite of medicine is cure for the sick. Here, cure is the sense of going against illness, and the sense of countering is the meaning. This is the term for any suitable remedy. It is the medical man's work because it is permitted by him, thus it is medicine. Or the cure for the sick itself As medicine as medicine is cure for the sick. Any work of a medical man, such as oil, honey, ghee, etc., that is suitable for one who is sick, is what is meant. A requisite, however, in such passage as it is well supplied with the requisites of a city, is equipment. In such passages as the chariot has the requisite of virtue, the axle of jhana, the wheel of energy, it is an ornament. In such Passages as the requisites for the life of one who has gone into homelessness that should be available. It is an accessory. But here both equipment and accessory are applicable. For that medicine as a cure for the sick is equipment for maintaining life because it protects by preventing the arising of affliction destructive to life. And it is an accessory too because it is an instrument for prolonging life. That is why it is called requisite. So it is medicine as cure for the sick, and that is requisite, that it is a requisite of medicine as cure for the sick. He makes use of that requisite of medicine as cure for the sick. Any requisite for life consisting of oil, honey, molasses, ghee, etc. that is allowed by a medical man as suitable for the sick is what is meant.
1: means basically also any medicine, not just those kinds.
3: Thank you. Caesar. do you have a mic today?
6: Hi everybody, but uh, I don't have the papers. Just I am learning of the others.
3: Oh, okay. Thank you. Thank you, too. 97. From arisen, from born, become, produced, hurtful, here, hurt, is a disturbance of elements. It is the leprosy, tumors, boils, etc. originated by that disturbance. Hurtful, because arisen in the form of hurt. Feelings, painful feelings. Feelings resulting from unprofitable karma, from those hurtful feelings. For complete immunity from affliction, for complete freedom from pain, so that all that is painful is abandoned, is the meaning. This is how this virtue requisites should be understood. In brief, its characteristic is the use of re- requisites after wise reflection. The word meaning here is this, because breathing things go, move, proceed, using what they use, independence on their robes, etc., these robes, etc., are therefore called requisites. Concerning requisites is
1: concerning those those requisites. And we're done number four that's the fourfold virtue a
6: so in this fourfold virtue patimaka restraint has to be undertaken by means of for that is accomplished by faith since the announcing of training precepts is outside the disciples disciples province and the evidence here is the refusal of the requisite refusal of the request to allow the disciple disciple to announce training precepts having therefore undertaken uh, through faith the training precepts without exceptions without exception as announced one should completely perfect them without regard for life for this is said as a hen guards her eggs or as a yak her tail or like a darling child or like an only eye so you who are engaged your virtue to protect, be prudent at all times, and ever uh, scrupulous. Uh, also, it it is said further, so to sire, when a training precepts for disciples, disciples is announced by me, my disciples do, do not transgress it even for the sake of life.
0: The um, wording here is odd because we don't use announcing in that way as far as I know. But the meaning, if you look at announcing, it means declaring or establishing. So the point is that uh, only the Buddha can can set down, can lay down training precepts. So uh, maybe it's a little literal translation, but we don't say it like that as far as I know in English. Kind of confused me there for a second, but it means... Uh, it, what the meaning is? It has to be accomplished by faith in the blessed, in the Buddha. You know, you have to have faith that the Buddha knew what he was doing by laying down these rules, because you don't—they weren't—you don't lay them down yourself.
1: You don't choose your own rules. You take on the rules of someone else. That's the meaning? Thank you, Tim. Can you read ninety-nine?
5: And in the story of the elders. No. And the story of the elders bound by robbers in the should be understood in this sense. It seems that robbers in the Mahavatani forest bound an elder with black creepers and made him lie down. While he lay there for seven days, he auguma- augmented his insight, and after reaching the fru- fruition of non-return, he died there and was reborn in the Brahma world. Also, they bound another elder in Tambani Island, Sri Lanka, with string creepers and made him lie down. When the forest fire came and the creepers were not cut, he established insight and attained nibbana simultaneously with his death. When the elder Abha- Abhaya, a preacher of the Dhyanakaya, passed By what 500 bhikkhus, he saw what had happened, and he had the elder body cremated and a shrine built. Therefore, let other clansmen all maintain the rules of conduct pure, renouncing life, if there be need, rather than break virtue's restraint by the world's savior decreed.
0: The point here, it it confused me for a while how this these stories relate to morality but i believe the meaning is because for monks there's a training rule against destroying plant life so these creepers in my understanding anyways the creepers were still alive and the only way to escape would be to cut and kill the creepers so even such a seemingly trivial rule these monks were unwilling uninterested in in breaking to save their lives
1: Kind of shocking, but that's how I think it's under to be understood. Thank you, Bante. Would you read one hundred?
0: When not undertaken thus, virtue of patimoka restraint is unenduring. It does not last like a crop not fenced in with branches, and it is raided by the robber defilements as a village with open gates is by thieves. And lust leaks into into his mind, as rain does into a badly roofed house, for this is said. Among the visible objects, sounds and smells, and tastes and tangibles, guard the faculties. For when these doors are open and unguarded, then thieves will come and raid as twere a village. And just as with an ill-roofed house, the rain comes leaking in, so too... Rain comes leaking in, so too will lust come leaking in for sure
1: upon an undeveloped mind. Thank you. I think we just skipped over one.
3: Aurora, perhaps you could read 100?
2: Ah, yes. And as Padimoka restraint is undertaken out of faith, so restraint of the sense faculties should be undertaken with mindfulness. For that is accomplished by mindfulness because when the sense faculties' functions are founded on mindfulness, there's no liability to invasion by covetousness and the rest. So recollecting the fire discourse, which begins thus, better because with extirpation of the eye faculty by a red-hot burning blaze, glowing iron spike, than the apprehension of signs in the particulars of visible objects cognizable by the eye. This restraint should be properly undertaken by preventing, with unremitting mindfulness, any apprehension in the objective fields consisting of visible data, etc., of any signs, etc., likely to encourage covetousness, etc., to invade consciousness occurring in connection with the eye door, and so on.
0: Right, and this is where we would read number 101, Uh, meaning it should be undertaken thus. If not it's not undertaken with great faith, then it becomes shaky, and one's virtue becomes shaky. More, uh, precepts are like fence posts. They set things.
1: They establish clear boundaries. Without those clear boundaries, our morality is more liable to waver. Thank you. Bond, would you read 102?
4: When it is undertaken thus, the virtue of Patamoka restraint is enduring. It lasts like a crop well fenced in with branches, and it is not raided by the robber by the robber defilements as a village with the well-garden gates is not by thieves. And lust does not leak into his mind as rain does not a well-roofed house. For this is said, among the visible objects, sounds and smells, and tastes and tangibles are the faculties. For those, for when those doors are closed and truly guarded, these will not come and raid as if it were a village. Uh, just as with a well-roofed house, no rain comes leaking in, so too no lust comes leaking in for sure upon a well-developed mind.
1: This, however, is the teaching at its very highest. The mind is called
3: quickly transformed, so restraint of the faculty should be undertaken by removing arisen lust with the contemplation of foulness, as was done by Elder Vangisa soon after he had gone forth.
0: Just a point, Uh, sorry, just to, to butt in about quickly transformed, I believe, means changes quickly. If you're confused, it's an odd, that's not really what it should say. It should say the mind changes quickly, quickly changing. Okay, mean, that, meaning you have to be
1: vigilant, I guess, is the point here.
3: That does make a big difference. Thank you. As the elder was wandering for arm, alms, it seems, soon after going forth, lust arose in him on seeing a woman. Thereupon he said to the venerable Ananda, I am afire with sensual lust, and burning flames consume my mind. In pity, tell me, Gautama, how to extinguish it for good. The elder said, You do perceive mistakenly that burning flames consume your mind. Look for no sign of beauty there, for that is, for it is that which leads to lust. See foulness there and keep your mind harmoniously concentrated. Formations see as alien, as ill, not self, so this great lust may be extinguished and no more. Take fire thus ever and ever, ever and again. The elder expelled his
1: lust and then went on with his alms round.
6: Um, moreover, a bhikkhu who is fulfilling restraint of faculties should be like the elder Chittagutta resident in the great cave at Kurandaka, and like the elder Mahamitta, resident at the at the great monastery of uh, Koraka.
1: Thank you, Tim. Can you read one o five?
5: In the great cave of Kondarka, it seems that there was a lovely painting of the renunciation of the seven Buddhas. A number of bhikkhus wandering about among the dwellings saw the paintings and said, What a lovely painting, Venerable Sir. The elder said, For more than sixty years, friend, I have lived in this cave, and I do not know whether whether there was any painting there or not. Now today I do it through these who have eyes. The elder, it seems, though, had lived there for some for so long. He had never raised his eyes and looked up at the cave. And at the door of this cave there was a great ironwood tree. And the elder had never looked up at, the, at that either. He knew it was in flower when he saw its petals on the ground each year. Pretty hardcore, to say the least.
3: Bundy, is that considered a good thing, to not be observant about your surroundings and just be seeing, seeing without actually seeing what things are?
0: No, the point is he never looked up. He kept his eyes downcast all the time. When he walked, he only needed to see. He had no reason to look at the caves of the wall. He never even looked at the the walls. It's not that he didn't see them when he looked. He never even looked up. When he walked, he would look in front of him. When he ate, he would eat out of his, look at his bowl. It's quite hardcore.
3: Okay, so he was following the rule about looking down. Well,
0: it's not a rule. It's a rule when you're in public. He was following a fairly strict practice of never really looking
1: up. And this next paragraph, you'll see how, well, how he, he continues it on. Thank you. Would you read 106,
3: Pante?
0: So the king heard of the elder's great virtues, and he sent for him three times, desiring to pay homage to him. When the elder did not go, he had the breasts of all the women with infants in the town bound and sealed off, saying, As long as the elder does not come, let the children go without milk. Out of compassion for the children, the elder went to Mahagama. When the king heard that he had come, he said, Go and bring the elder in, I shall take the precepts. Having had him brought up into the inner palace, he paid homage to him and provided him with a meal. Then, saying, Today, venerable sir, there is no opportunity, I shall take the precepts tomorrow. He took the elder's bowl. After following him for a little, he paid homage with the queen and turned back. As seven days went by thus, whether it was the king who paid homage or whether it was the queen,
1: the elder said, May the king be happy.
2: Bikus asked why is it venerable sir that whether it is the king who pays the homage or the queen you say made the king be happy the elder replied friends i do not notice whether it is the king or the queen at the end of the seven days when it was found that the elder was not happy living there he was dismissed by the king he went back to the great cave at Kurandaka. when it was night he went out into his walk a deity who dwelt and the ironwood tree stood by with a torch of sticks. Then his meditation subject became quite clear and plain. The elder, thinking how clear my meditation subject is today, was glad, and immediately after the middle watch he reached Arhanship, making the whole rock resound.
1: Thank you, Bond, can you read one o eight?
4: So when another clansman seeks his own good, let him not be hungry-eyed, like a monkey in the groves, like a wild deer in the woods, like a nervous little child. Let him go with eyes downcast, seeing plows yoke's length before, that he fall not in the power of the forest monkey mind. I
1: like that monkey mind.
3: The elder Mahamita's mother was sick with a poisoned tumor. She told her daughter, who as a bhikkhuni had also gone forth, Lady, go to your brother, tell him my trouble and bring back some medicine. She went and told him. The elder said, I do not know how to gather root medicines and such things and concoct a medicine from them, but rather I will tell you a medicine since I went forth. I have not broken my virtue of restraint of the sense faculties by looking at the bodily form of the opposite sex with a lustful mind. By this declaration of truth, may my mother get well. Go and tell the lay devotee and and rub her body. She went and told her what had happened and then did as she had been instructed. At that very moment, the lay devotee's tumor vanished, shrinking away like a lump of froth. She got up and uttered a cry of joy. If the fully enlightened one were still alive, why should he not stroke with his net-adorned hand the head of a bhikkhu like my
1: own son? So... There you have it. Morality cures tumors. Cancer, I suppose. There's there's a lot of this
0: sort of um, curing of poison and so on from the power of these assertions of truth. See various places where this appears to have been appears to be understood to be quite powerful.
1: Is this still done today? Yeah, yeah. That's a, it's more ceremonial, I suppose. There is still an understanding that truth observation can be quite powerful.
6: But I guess it should be something of a great deep right are, Yeah. If I say yeah. sun rises from the east, then. Yeah. <laughs> Expect like something you don't happen. Eh? I had
0: toast this morning for breakfast. <laughs> Not exactly powerful.
3: Probably depends on kind of toast. If It was whole wheat. It might be yeah. a little better.
0: Oh, speaking of, um, we are out of bread, uh, Robin. Sorry to go off topic, but now that I've got you here. Oh, okay. Uh, uh, he, he said. I asked him. I said, well, "Is there anything you need?" And he right away he said, "Bread." And so I feel, oh, it's exactly what I told you. We didn't need. Apparently, we do need it.
3: We can fix that. Thank you for letting me know.
1: Okay, thanks. Right, uh, but
0: so, so, so just sorry if I can just um, continue. Uh, all right, so there were certain truth observations. Like in the Jataka, there's one case where this boy gets poisoned, and there's the mo- the mother, the father. The servant and this recluse, and the recluse says, "Well, look, the best way to cure this child's poison is to make a truth observation and to make a declaration of truth." And so the husband says he doesn't love the wife. The wife says she doesn't love the husband. The maid says she doesn't respect either of them. And the ascetic says he's, he he doesn't uh, he's not happy living as a monk. He's just doing it because he has he's afraid to, he has no other nowhere else to go. So they all, one by one, give these sort of uh, awful admissions of, of truth. And it's actually powerful enough that each time the boy becomes a little better until finally he gets up and run, starts running around as if nothing happened. Oh, there! It isn't just good, powerful things. It's also admissions, it seems. Now, whether that's, you know, this is a Jataka story, so you don't have to, you can take it with a grain of salt.
6: Yeah, but I think uh, the ascetic said uh, that he only practiced the uh, sila only in the first week uh, after right. becoming an ascetic.
1: Yeah, so it's interesting that this would count as a, a truth astonishing. Thank you. Sanka, can you read 110? Yeah, so let
6: another noble clansman gone forth in dispensation keep as did the the perfect faculty restraint.
1: Tim, can you read 111?
5: As restraint of the faculties to be undertaken by means of mindfulness, so livelihood purification is to be undertaken by means of energy, for that is accomplished by energy, because the abandoning of wrong livelihood is effected. In one who has rightly applied energy, abandoning therefore unbefitting wrong speech, this should be undertaken with energy by means of the right kind of speech, consisting in going on alms round, etc., avoiding what is impure, impure uh, avoiding what is of impure origin, if it were a poisonous snake, and using only requisites of pure origin.
0: Herein, for one who has not taken up the ascetic practices, any requisites obtained from the community, from a group of bhikkhus, or from laymen who have confidence in his special qualities of teaching the Dhamma, etc., are called of pure origin. But those obtained on alms round, etc., are of extremely pure origin. The point is that um, the Buddha gave specific... Uh, means by which these requisites were best procured like getting only alms food and not receiving food that people bring to the monastery but actually going out into the village
4: for example
0: like only taking discarded cloth to make robes so the point is when we read the ascetic practices it should become clearer as to the difference for one who has taken up the ascetic practices those obtained on alms round etc and as long as this is in accordance with the rules of the ascetic practices, from people who have confidence in his special qualities of asceticism, are called of pure origin. And if he has gotten got putrid urine with mixed gall nuts and four sweets for the purpose of carrying a certain affliction, and he eats only the broken gall nuts, thinking other companions in the life of purity will eat the four sweets, four sweets are four things that are uh, allowed for sick monks his undertaking of the ascetic practices is befitting for he is then called a bhikkhu who is supreme in the noble one's heritages. It means he's frugal he's not uh,
1: being indulgent he's taking only what is absolutely necessary what are the broken gall nuts? I have no idea not a clue
3: Thank you. you. Aurora, would you read 113?
2: Yes. As to the robe and the other requisites, no hint, indication, roundabout talk, or intimation about robes and alms foot is allowed for a beaker who is purifying his livelihood. But a hint, indication, or roundabout talk about a resting place is allowable for one who is not taking up the ascetic practices.
0: A monk can ask I think can even ask for a place to stay also for medicines medicines one can if if a monk is sick they can even go to up to a layperson and say look hey do you would you be able to provide me with this doesn't mean the layperson is obliged to give it it just means that it's not breaking a rule because you can't wait around for someone to say hey do you happen to need medicines (laughs) Do you happen to be sick right now that you need medicine? No. If you're sick, you can go and say, hey, I'm sick.
6: One day I think uh, cow urine monks can take without asking. I and
0: you cannot take. You, you can't actually take medicine. It has to still be given. But you'll
1: see at the bottom here, it's actually going to say in 115, all is allowed in the case of medicine. Okay. Thank you. Bond, can you read 114?
4: Herein a hint is when one who is getting the preparing of the ground, etc., done for the purpose of making a resting place is asked, What is being done, Venerable Sir? Who is having it done? And re- he replies, No one, or any other such giving of hints. Uh, An indication is saying, saying, lay follower, where do you live in a mansion, venerable sir? But lay follower, a mansion is not allowed for bhikkhus, or any other such giving of indication. Roundabout talk is saying, the resting place for the community of bhikkhus is crowded, or any other such oblique talk.
0: Okay, the point here is, I think, if I'm reading this correctly, you're not actually allowed to ask for a dwelling, uh, and this is actually considered polite because you're giving the layperson a way out. You're not saying, hey, do you have a place for me to stay or could you provide me with a place to stay? This sort of hinting is considered better than that because it is—you know, the layperson can just keep quiet and not lose face and not, not feel overly embarrassed by not responding. So you just say, um, yeah, I don't have a place to stay tonight. You can drop a hint. And then it's up to them if they don't take the hint, then you say, well, fine, you know, no, no hard feelings, no, no loss. So all that talk about hinting was um, has to be tempered by this, where in fact hinting can sometimes be better than outright asking, you know, or, or obviously better, but, but in this case, actually appropriate. It's not appropriate for things
1: like food or robes, I believe. Thank you. Hi, Hamantha. welcome. We're on page 39 in chapter
3: 1, just going on to section 115, 39. Thank you. All, however, is allowed in the case of medicine, but when the disease is cured, it is or it is not allowed to use the medicine obtained in this way. Herein, the Vinaya specialists say that the opening has been given by the Blessed One, therefore it is allowable. But the Sutta specialists say that although there is no offense, nevertheless the livelihood is sullied, therefore it is not allowable.
0: You get some insight into these kinds of debates that go
1: on among Buddhist monks.
6: But one who does not use hints roundabout about talk... Or intimation, uh, though these are permitted by the Blessed One, and who depends only on the special qualities of fewness, etc., and makes use only of uh, requisites obtained otherwise than by indication, etc., even when he thus risks his life, is called supreme in living in effacement like the Venerable Sariputta. You'll notice um, above the, the, there's
0: where it says um, hinting in one fourteen, it's actually considered to be um, uh, sort of an uh, extraneous activity to to answer one's question. If someone says, um, "Why are you why are you laying why are you flattening out the ground there?" Uh, if one doesn't want to hint, one should actually just keep quiet and not even re- not even reply or or find a way to avoid answering the question, knowing that if one were to answer, it would put the person in a place where they feel obligated to, to do something. There, there's actually a case for this, in many cases, for, for being very careful about even just replying to people's questions, because you know, if you do that, it's going to uh, make them feel obliged towards you. I
6: mean, monks
0: take this seriously because there's always the charge of monks being mooches, you know. I mean, we, we give so much up that it, it often looks like we're actually um, expecting or seeking or hoping for many kinds of support you know, from, from other people, you know, freeloading. And so it, one has to be very strict, ideally very strict about this in terms of not hinting.
3: Do you find it difficult in the West, though, because I think in general you know, our culture is just so unfamiliar with this all.
0: No, I mean, I think that in some ways that simplifies it. It forces the monks to do without on many, many occasions, which is good. You know, it, it, it forces the monks to not rely too much upon extras and on luxury. To some extent, we're too luxurious. You know, we have carpets in our rooms and... Comfy chairs, and there's a lot of luxuries in monasteries in the West. But just to another great extent, we have we have it pretty hard because you know we don't get breakfast or you know many many of the luxuries that uh, we might get in a in an well-established monastery in Asia in a Buddhist society, and and you know people coming and offering gifts and so on. So it's kind of nice being here. It's kind of in many ways, very ascetic.
1: Some days you potentially have to go completely without food.
3: Yes, that's what I mean. Just you know, acclimating people in this area who who would be interested. Just you well, know, I, I acclimating think, people to
0: know what to do. I think the point is you shouldn't shouldn't it shouldn't it shouldn't be about acclimating people. It should be about accepting that unless someone really wants to give, you're you're not going to get. You're not looking to get. You're not, and I think that's a mistake. Many monks make. They feel like they should be teaching people how to support them, which kind of kind of ugly, really. I mean, why should they support me? Why? Who am I that they should support me? Now, so the argument is, well, they're the teacher, so on. I think that should come from the student. If a student says, "Hey, this is my teacher. I want to support them," then fine, great, but there should be no obligation. Monks are not doing it. Not, not teaching to um, I suppose there's something to that where one uh, feels obligated to the to lay people, so therefore one teaches, but it's more than that um and I think there certainly shouldn't be a sense of expectancy where you know, if, if people should, people at any in any way feel obliged or that there's any
1: kind of pressure on them or expectation by them for them to give. Fed, I find it works out quite well here. I mean, people. I often have Western people just give things. It's kind of quirky,
0: actually. They'll just give strange things, like someone brings me a piece of cake or something like that.
1: Yeah. it's uh,
0: it's nice that sort of cause it doesn't um, it doesn't allow you to lull you into a sense of security. You, know, you get a piece of cake one day, and that's just kind of odd, <laughs> and that's it. You don't you don't get cake every day like you might in a Buddhist country.
6: It, it gets funny in Sri Lanka, but in Sri Lanka, some lay people complain that uh, a lot of monks uh, preach the Dukkha Vibhanga Sutta. Yeah,
0: yeah. <laughs> in, in Thailand, <laughs> actually, the, there's an accusation that it isn't the Buddha's teaching. I don't know if I told you this story. I had an argument with some monks about the Dakinavibhanga Sutta. They said it's obviously, obviously written, composed later, and you know their point being that this is obviously a sutta that that the Buddha would have never taught, and or not that he would have never taught. The Buddha didn't teach, and it's clearly just made up by monks who want to get stuff. Uh, and they said, the reason why we know that's the case is because it talks about the Bhikkhuni Sangha, but it's at a time when there was no Bhikkhuni Sangha. And that was their argument, which is a ridiculous argument, because the Buddha was, as I replied back and I said, you know, the Buddha was talking about the Bhikkhuni Sangha right after he became enlightened, you know, so does that mean... Uh, or I didn't say that he said so and, and it's funny because they didn't they hadn't even realized that. They said what what are you talking about? Where is that? And I gave them the reference. And uh you know, the Sutta also talks about giving to the Buddha after he's entered into
1: Parinibbana, which of course hadn't happened yet. And I said, So what what does that mean that it hasn't happened yet? But uh, there's nothing wrong with the
0: Dakini Nabi There's nothing wrong with talking about the benefits of giving. As you say, there's a lot of emphasis on it.
6: Yeah, some people uh, tend to think that the more the person needs it, uh, the more merit uh, you get, like if it's a beggar or someone who really Mm -hmm. needs it.
0: I don't think so. I don't think that's yeah, a good a very it's, it's maybe a partial measure but I don't think it's a very good measure. It's a good measure it's it's helpful because it, you know you you have you feel good about it. You feel confident. Yes, this is going to be appreciated. It makes you feel good. Definitely there's something there. You feel good when you know you've helped someone, right? If you give food to the monks right. and you see that they only pick at it and then they throw most of it out, it's kind of well you don't feel that good about it, right? Well, but if there's if, right. if if your food is all the monk is going to have for that day, I think there's something there. Yeah, you have to you have to allow, allow for that. It's not nearly as powerful as giving to a pure monk as opposed to giving to a, an impure monk, for example.
6: Right. So it's about giving something you can make use of, right?
0: Well, you know, take it if you just take it at face value. I don't think there's anything that I've read that actually says that. But you have to accept the fact that people feel better when they know that their gift is appreciated, right? Yeah, you, know, you feel you feel excited and happy and good about what you've done because it's actually helped someone. And, and you know that's another thing, of course, is that you see in places like Sri Lanka where they give things without caring about the monks. You know, <laughs> you know they they don't give it thinking the monk will be able to make use of it. They just give it. Right. Because, you know, sometimes it's kind of absurd. How, you know, it was absurd how much tea I got, for example. <laughs> I was there for a month and I had enough tea to feed an army. <laughs> and there was no sense I don't think I mean that's not quite a good example that was more like oh here's a visitor to Sri Lanka and this is what we give to visitors to Sri Lanka because this is a Sri Lankan thing but but you do see that right you know people giving Yeah, maybe
6: maybe they are expecting you to give it away to some yeah, other monks yeah so
0: that's not a perfect example but you often feel that way like are, do they really care <laughs> you know, is this really for me you
3: know So, is there a lot of monk regifting that goes on?
0: Yeah, yeah. I mean, I I, most of the stuff, but that happens anyway. I mean, even in the case of good things, monks we give things to each other. I left ninety percent of the stuff I got. I left in in Sri Lanka just in the monastery. I hope someone. I'm sure someone must have made use of it.
3: Yeah, it's actually this, uh, the same here, you know, in the military. I, two of my sons are in the military, and they'd get packages from well-meaning people that, you know, they were just things that they couldn't use. But they had this kind of place where they'd all put their unwanted stuff, and they'd uh-huh. share it, and
1: it's nice. Mm-hmm.
3: Well, we're past our 2.30 time.
1: Yeah, we better end it there, no?
3: Yeah. Oh, good session. Mm-hmm.
5: Bhante, I just have one question yes, here. Uh, on 115, the, the Vinaya specialists and the Sutana specialists, uh, where's the basic difference?
0: Well, Vinaya means monks who, who focus more on, or who specialize in their understanding of the monastic rules. So, in many, many cases, this it's probably not specialist, it probably says Vinaya Dara means
1: the, actually, let's take a look, maybe no. Uh, Yeah, but in Pali they're not numbered like that, it's a problem. Vinaya Dara, yeah, it's talking
0: about one who has memorized the Vinaya. So it's not just specialist, it's the one who focuses on memorizing the uh, Vinaya. (laughs) Um, but really, yeah, the meaning is specialist, and the Sutanta is one who focuses on the suttas,
1: the discourses of the Buddha.
0: It's just two two fairly common uh, specializations. Monks who study those study one or the other set, since it's hard to be a specialist in
1: both. Well, thank you. And one other question: Was the tea caffeinated? Okay, thank you, yeah, caffeine's generally
0: understood to be okay i, mean, I don't i don't I encourage meditators to not have caffeine during their course, but I'm ambivalent about it there's you know there's studies about how good caffeine is for you i mean obviously it can be addictive dependency, but it can also help your it seems to be able to help brain function i think no so for in a worldly sense it's it's useful. There's no real harmful side effects, and the addiction is not so extreme, I don't think.
3: Only if you can't have it. I, like, yeah. if you're you you know if you're a regular coffee drinker, and then for some reason you can't have it, you, you don't want to run into that person who hasn't had their morning coffee when they're used to it.
0: I guess that is, yeah. Yeah, it, so it is an addiction. That is the big problem. But, you know, I, I don't think it's that severe. A person, if they know it's an addiction, and they say, "Okay, now I'm not having my coffee." It's more of a physical right, It's a physical addiction, not. Well, there is the mental aspect as well. But yeah, it's just so it's it's iffy. Not not decided.
1: As I said, I'm ambivalent about coffee. Thank you. I think the point right the point is it doesn't intoxicate your mind in the way that alcohol does.
0: I think you've got an argument for that
3: if you drink too much though i I mean I've had too much coffee some days, and you know it, it, I think you almost do feel intoxicated, really yeah if, you drink, I've uh, that far. yeah, if you you know drink a couple of extra cups of coffee and you just just have so much pain in you it, it's almost hard to think it's hard mm-hmm. to focus. I've given up all caffeine at this point, but I've kind of gone from one side of the other and, and with you know, with really a lot of caffeine it's hard to focus, it's hard to make a decision, you're so jumpy and
1: mm-hmm. Yeah,
3: so there's definitely something to think about.
0: Caffeine is not shouldn't just take it for granted that it's a good thing. And many monks, do you know it's a common evening thing in, in Buddhist monasteries? have coffee or tea they call it in, in Sri Lanka this is what they call Gilan Pasa gilan Pasa means Gilana Pachaya Besaja I guess Pachaya Besaja which you know coffee isn't that <laughs> or tea sorry tea isn't that but uh, so it's funny to hear that when people ask me if I want some Gilan Pasa and immediately I think you know it's not something for sick pikus. this isn't this isn't the definition of Gilan Pasa but it's come to mean tea.
6: Um, and again, I think it has maybe, to... Maybe, maybe hunger itself can be treated as illness.
0: Could be, but does tea really support... us? Is that the reason why we drink tea? I mean,
1: it's more for the energy, the perkiness. It's a drug, really. I mean, that's why we have... And so we have fruit juice.
0: Coconut, coconut water. I've always argued that coconut water shouldn't be allowed because, or isn't allowed in the commentary. I think somewhere says it's not because it has fat in it. But it actually, I'm, it seems quite clear it doesn't have fat. So I was wrong about that. I was under the impression that because coconuts are quite fatty that the
1: coconut milk would have fat. But apparently it has no fat. And it's full of electrolytes. It also ferments. When I was in Sri Lanka the first time,
0: uh, someone gave me king coconut. He said, King coconut. I said, Okay, I don't know what king coconut is. But he took a coconut and he poured some some juice into a cup. And I started drinking it. And I was, This tastes kind of funny. And so I drank a whole glass. And then it just hit me. I said, That was alcohol. <laughs> there was alcohol in that. And uh, <laughs> I ended up feeling kind of tipsy you know
1: that
3: was and... so mean to give a fermented alcohol to a monk but he
0: didn't know actually he didn't he he, he didn't know he wasn't oh, mean. okay but okay. Uh, and i th- i told the monk this and he said impossible, impossible. so i, I sort of, i swore off coconut for a long time and then this monk was kind of upset at me because of course it's a big thing in sri lanka he said there's no it's not possible there's no alcohol in I'm not drinking that actually,
6: actually but if you let the let the king coconut mature a lot, uh, it becomes uh, kind of strong, so maybe that's what you felt not you're saying it you're alcohol. saying it doesn't ferment and I don't think it ferments inside the coconut. You need to put um no, no, he
0: didn't put any alcohol in it. it was fermented. Maybe there was a hole in the coconut, and that's how it fermented. I don't know, but it was, it was quite fermented. I
6: guess fermented. you have to put some yeast. No, to make no, it fermented.
0: no, really? I thought sugar ferments.
5: Oh, it does. It doesn't need yeast. It'll pick the yeast up from the air. Uh-huh. Yeah, but
6: the inside can't uh, be in contact with the air. Yeah.
0: So it, it must have had like a hole in it already, you know, when he poured it. Maybe it was yeah. it had been left out. Strange, because yeah, I've never since experienced such a thing. But for a long time, I wasn't going to touch those things.
3: I just looked it up real quick, and um, it, that is a thing that people actually intentionally do, putting yeast in it to ferment it.
0: No, I'm I'm pretty sure he didn't do that to me. But yeah, that's
3: probably something that the, happened organically too. Yeah, king coconut is the orange. Uh, yeah, orange one.
0: Isn't, can someone Google for me? Anyway, let's not get off track here. I'm going to stop the recording. That was a good session. Thank you all for coming and hope to see you all next uh, Sunday. Yes, thank we you. We'll be starting at 117.
5: Thank, thank you,
0: Monte. We'll be starting at wherever we left off, 1,
1: 117. Thank you so much, Monte. Okay. Have a good day.
3: Thanks, all. Yes. Good
1: night right